Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, you know how I always start my show off by saying, hey, we've got a lot to talk about in real estate this week. You know what? A little different show this week. We've got some political things to talk about. And of course, I'm talking about Thursday night's election results. This PC party laying out a spanking. And you know what? Um, I'll talk more about that in a minute. I, I don't want everybody to know that I'm jumping up and down with a flag saying yay. But ultimately, in the end, I think that uh, this could be a positive thing. And so w- some of our guests that are going to be joining us this hour, uh, Mike Chesahosky, uh, he is the executive vice president at CBRE. One of the reasons why I love having Mike on the show is that he actually uh, has a lot of meetings with the politicians in Ontario because of CBRE's influence in the commercial market. And we're going to be talking about what he he thinks the uh, election results are going to have on some of our real estate. And then later uh, in the hour, I'm going to have Mr. Tim Hudak, you know, former leader of the PC party, now the uh, the CEO at ARIA. Tim's going to be joining me and giving me his take on it. And uh, always a pleasure to have him on the show. So I'm looking forward to having these chats with them. And, but more importantly, let's, let's talk a little bit about some numbers that do matter to you this week. Uh, May to May, so 2017 to 2018, prices down 5%, uh, between five and six, depending on what the market you're looking at. So not quite as bad, but we knew this because May, May last year was already getting affected. You know, April was kind of the peak, uh, between March and April. And, but big thing again, of course, is the volume. And we keep talking about volume. The number of sales are not there. Uh, volume of listings is up, but still not enough. And so when we take a look at the year over year numbers, uh, in May of 2018, something around 7,800 transactions. When we talk about May, 2017, then we are looking at around just over 10,000, but here's the real number 2016 over 12,000 transactions in May of 2016, where'd the market go? And last year, we know that one of the reasons why the market was so tight and they barely squeaked out that 10,000 listings uh, for that ended up being sold was because there was no inventory. You know, if, if a house came on, multiple offers, boom. A little bit more inventory feeding the animal in 2016. Right now, again, we've got so many factors that are playing into the number of sales and prices being off. One of them, of course, is a stress test. They keep talking about this in the news and, you know, for clarity, you know, what they're looking at is that currently, if you're looking at a three and a half percent mortgage, you're going to have to qualify at five and a half percent. And for those of you that, you know, don't think that that's a huge deal. When we talk to the first time home buyers, uh, this is where they are struggling because they've cut their buying power down by about 20, 25%, which means one of the reasons why we see such a hot condo market is they actually can't buy anything more. And so this is, this is a tough one. And I'm hoping that, uh, when I start getting on my political rant, you know, maybe we can, maybe we can make some sense of this. Uh, A couple other things that I found very interesting in the news, and I'm not sure how you folks out in the York region are going to feel about this, but politicians want a new municipal land transfer tax grab on home ownership. So looking at this article, it was saying that the York Region Councillors are demanding new tax powers for the, from the province, and they have their eyes set on municipal land transfer tax. If implemented, the tax would add over $15,000 to an average price York home. Uh, so interesting. So you're going to buy property and you're going to get nailed with another fifteen grand. Um, that 
that's kind of counterproductive, isn't it? I mean, when we take a look at it, you know, do these counselors don't, I, maybe they don't want anybody to move into their region anymore, because why would you? Same reason why right now we're watching basically the, uh, the BC market kind of implode under the NDP is that right now they are just trying to jam any people that have the uh, have the vacation properties out of the province and at the same time they're also pushing hard on the actual people that do live in the, in the province so they're saying that uh, prices are going down in vacation properties in the uh, in the province of British Columbia so we're going to keep our eye on that marketplace because right now right now we see the Ontario market trending up probably looking at about a six or eight percent increase this year on vacation property. So if we're talking about cottage properties or chalets, so you know, you could be looking at, you know, the Blue Mountain Collingwood area. For that matter, you could be looking at the Muskokas, Kawarthas, any of those areas. We are watching probably a six to eight percent increase this year on value. Uh inventory is a little bit tight. One of the reasons for this motivation, of course, are some of the baby boomers that are downsizing, they are looking into the vacation properties. And for them, you know, it's a secondary home. Sometimes they then make it a primary residence when they sell out. And what they'll do is they'll buy themselves a condo in Toronto. So we are seeing some shift there. And, uh, you know, other things in the news that we keep talking about, of course, is the affordability for millennials. And what we're seeing are some of the millennials are actually kind of getting the message and you know one of the things that they're doing that I'm, i've always tried to encourage here on the show is they're not buying the shiny penny anymore they're actually looking at properties that are you know affordable maybe just a little outside the parameter that they were looking at but that need a little bit of work and we're seeing uh more of those happening and i think that that's uh that's going to be a big thing for the future for people um now a couple other things that <laughs> sorry i have to laugh when i see this but we are now starting to see the Toronto condominium market jump on the smoke-free uh, environment. So if you are currently an owner of a condominium and you're living in the building, uh, they did not typically have a smoke-free building. Common areas you can't smoke in, uh, of course, but other than that, your unit perhaps you can smoke in. Well, condominiums can now turn around and put it in their actual registration and documents that you are not permitted to smoke in a unit. Now, one of the reasons why this is coming out at this time is the legalization of marijuana. And a lot of people don't want to touch this hot potato because they're getting a little bit nervous about what they're going to fight. So we're going to start seeing condominiums probably just before the it becomes law that that uh, the legalization of marijuana. We're going to watch condominiums change their rules and bylaws probably a majority of the buildings will become non-smoking. Now, for those of you people that actually smoke in your unit, you now are going to be grandfathered. So they can't force you not to smoke, but what they'll do is that anybody that moves in that is new, or they can dictate uh, what the combustible is. So if it's cigarettes, they're going to say that, okay, fine, as a grandfather, you can continue to smoke cigarettes, but when the new law comes in, you will not be permitted to smoke marijuana. On top of that, if you have a legal card, so you are uh, you are using medical marijuana, you actually can negate this entire conversation. Um, that gives you a right because it's being medical, so they cannot stop you 
from taking that treatment. So there's no condominium that will be able to create a law that says medical marijuana is not allowed to be used. But recreational, it's going to be a big change. And this is uh, this is one of those things that I think is going to become a huge issue. And a lot of the lawyers right now, they're all you know hovering around at $500 an hour trying to figure out you know what needs to be changed or talked about. Because in this situation, when this does happen, we need to talk about what a grow up is and what will constitute uh, you know, any kind of damage that you can have. So what they're saying in, in the new law is going to state that you can have four uh, marijuana plants. If you turn around and grow those, does that make your property automatically a grow up? Or is it that if it gets out of hand and we start seeing things such as mold spores growing, does that make it? So where is the determination going to be? Well, we're going to have to wait and see. And we're going to keep our eyes on also the real estate associations and what they're going to talk about and what kind of rules and regulations, what they're going to have as far as disclosures. Because if you have four, again, marijuana plants in your property, will you have to disclose this on the listing of your home? And in that, that will then, some people will deem to be a grow up. And then we have to talk about the finance part of it. Will the banks also agree or disagree on what the level is before they deem it to be a grow up? Because typically uh, uh, the A lenders don't want to touch them. And not unless they have some kind of mold remediation and they get a 100% clean air report. So there's going to be a lot of things going on and I think everybody should be made aware of that because there is a great concern with this. A um, couple other topics I just want to kind of touch on. Uh, definitely, because the, the, these are these are you know some things that keep popping up in the news, and you know they kind of get my goat, and I have to you know kind of just irritates me. Um, you know, one of the things is that you know a lot of these a lot of tenants are now complaining that you know landlords are increasing their rents. So, how about we do this? Let's get rid of all the landlords. Okay, how about we just say nobody's allowed to own an investment property anymore. Period, bar none. That's it. Well, if that's the case. Um, Mr. Tenant, uh, where are you going to live? Because a lot of people don't want to buy. Some people can't afford to buy. Some people are going to be a little bit more transient. So if if you don't have landlords, you don't have rental properties. And we can, we can talk about big buildings. We can talk individual suites. But if you do not have a landlord, you do not have a place to live if you cannot afford to buy. And this is the one thing that I think is a little bit unjust, is that tenants can turn around and not pay rent for months and months and months and months. But the landlord still has to pay the condominium fee, the property taxes, and the mortgage. So at what point is it fair to be a landlord? Well, the fairness of a landlord is that over a period of multiple years, they can potentially have the mortgage paid down from their investment. That's great. So I think that if tenants and landlords can get along, then you're gonna have a good, equal, balanced relationship and that to me i think is going to be really the most important thing in the future for rental properties um another thing that i heard and, and I, I have to say this uh you know there was a company offering that they could do a full basement apartment in three weeks well here's the problem folks is that basement apartments typically nowadays are illegal and so that's great that they can build it but if you plan on renting it out you might want to check your municipality because quite frankly there has never been a new basement apartment allowed since 1985 when they stopped the registration 
of basement apartments unless you have a grandfather situation where you're able to show that it was actually once rented back then. So, um, you know, those are the kind of things. Hey, by the way, uh, just so you know, this summer we're going to be launching some new simple seminars that are coming out as well. Uh, we've got our last few units available in one of our releases out in Welland, and you may want to go to our website and check it out. 144.9 for a three-bedroom townhouse uh, that is part of our rental program. So make sure you go to thesimpleinvestor.com to find out more about that. Uh, coming up after the break, I'm going to be joined by Mike Chesoski here in the studio. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. My guest in the studio right now is Mr. Mike Chesahovsky, and he is the Executive Vice President at CBRE. You've heard him here at Simply Real Estate numerous times. He is our go-to person when we talk about commercial, industrial, and just kind of the knowledge base of real estate. Mike, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Always a pleasure to have you here. And um, first and foremost, let's talk about the election. I've been talking about it, uh, you know, out of the gate. Um, We've got a new government that's going to be uh, sworn in soon. I'm happy. I'm very happy. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think Mr. Ford has a strong mandate from Ontario, and I hope he does the changes that we require and correct some of the mistakes that's happened over the last 15 years. Let's kind of, you know, figure out what some of those are, because, I mean, it's easy for us to say, hey, listen, li liberals, you know, had... had you know, stepped in it. Um, what are some of the things that you see are going to be required changes? I mean, you know, you and I have talked a lot about uh, supply and demand and things like that over the over the last little while, but there's got, there's more to it than just that. So, what what should this new government be focusing on when we talk about real estate? I think process of development is remove the red tape, cut it back. And let's go back to, to what we were when prices were reasonable. Increase supply. And the only way to increase supply is to cut that red tape and let us get some developments through the process and don't start changing the game halfway through like the liberals did. Okay, so Mike, when, when you talk about red tape, um, I, you know, just for our listeners' sake, and, and for those of you that have tuned in and, and heard Mike in the past here, um, you know, when we talk about red tape, I don't know if people really truly understand the length of the red tape because, I mean, you know, it, it, it can't be solved in, you know, three months or six months. I mean, when people are making applications, we're talking years in advance. So what what is kind of the process? What's If, if you've got a developer who wants to buy a piece of land, where do they go from there? Well, they have to start making applications for development and conforming to the current official plan or be willing to change it. I'll give you an example. A developer told me 25 years ago, if he wanted to build a bridge, it would be about a binder, a thick binder, of different reports that would be required. Today, he'd have 100 binders, and it would fill the room. Wow. That same bridge. That same bridge. That same bridge. Now, know that each report costs money, time, effort, and all these delays and times. What we used to do, we used to say six months to 18 months for development approval. Now it could be two to 10 years. All that means is the cost of that real estate gets that much more. Right. I mean, you know, I, I just for clarity, I mean, you know, somebody who's invests in a piece of dirt, you know, um, give you a perfect example. The property that, uh, that uh, your company had just done a deal with, and I think we talked about this. This was in, in around the wintertime, about two acres, about 110 million. Does that ring a bell? Yes. Okay. And, you know, at the time you said one of the reasons why 
that it had sold for so much was they actually had some of the red tape already already taken care of. They had full development rules in place. There was some tweaking still to be done. But the fact that you knew when you could go to market and what you could get made a big difference in the performance. So, but if, if we talk about something like that, but they would have had to have start, started that process years in advance yes. before them taking it to the market to sell it as blank land. Exactly. Five, six years. Five, six years. Wow. So, you know, if somebody is now going after a piece of property that has not had any approvals, has no applications, they've done nothing, that process, as you said, could, you know, seven to 10 years. Now, here's one of the things, and, and you know, I, I do want to talk about, you know, maybe some advice you can give to the PC party to help us out here in Ontario, because I think it's very important that, you know, they hear as much, you know, positive you know, influence and direction that they can possibly get. But if if we take a look at the current status and all we hear is the lack of supply, you know, right now people are struggling with, uh, with rentals, people are struggling purchasing, and yet we continue to grow at a rate of 100 to 120,000 people in the core of the Toronto area. Um, where are we going to go with this? It's going to take us 20 years. We're not going to do this over four. It took us 20 years to get this point that that we're having this much difficulty but they have to look at the process and start looking at it and streamlining it the process can't take multiple years to get a development project through and into the market because that just progressively our population is growing a lot faster than our supply sure and all that does is create problems for pricing right and and it's not you know when you and i talk about things we're not just talking about end user ownership we're talking about dwellings that people can live in you know because and and when we talk about you know let's say uh, more of a the multi-residential platform because this is what a lot of development is so that's what people would describe these condominiums being built into the sky um is that you know right now at this current stage you know there's all sorts of applications in at the municipal levels um i i, I heard a while ago that somewhere around two hundred thousand units have been applied for over the next 10 years does that number sound about right or well in one form or the other but our current inventory is sitting at a 15-year low Right. And I don't think you can look at just an application because who knows if that's ever going to get developed, who knows if it'll get approved, in what form. If you look at our actual numbers, look at standing inventory. So if you wanted to buy a condo walk-in today, right. we're, we're sitting like 300 units only. Traditionally, we were sitting at 2,000. 300 units? Yes. Wow. So, and then look at the inventory of units under construction. Uh, so those are units that'll be available somewhere in the next two to three years. For sure, because it's already being built. It's only 2,300 units. So so just for everybody's perspective, the month of May, um, you know, we, we didn't have a stellar month. Uh, year over year, price down 6%. Uh, big thing, though, is volume. 7,800 units approximately had exchanged residentially, okay, in the month of May. Um, last year at this time, we were sitting around 10,000. But here's the catch. There was over 12,000 units sold in May 2016 as far as volume goes. And now, when you say you've got standing inventory of 300 units, okay, and we are sitting here with low numbers as far as the exchange, um, you know, we've got a serious inventory problem. Is this something that you think this government's going to be able to solve? Yes. I have faith. I've met Mr. Ford uh, when he was a councillor in Toronto. And I can tell you at the meeting that I attended with him, he was the one voice of reason from the city. 
Wow. I was impressed. And, and he was straightforward. He was all business. And it wasn't uh, politically motivated, the decision he was coming forth with. It was business and what was best long-term for the city. So I was impressed. So I have faith that with the people around him, he's going to change and make things better for our kids. Wow. Um, that's high praise. And uh, so, Mr. Ford, if you're, you know, I, I think you like to listen to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 every Saturday. Of course, you have nothing better to do. And uh, make sure you reach out to Mr. Mike Chesahoski. He is from CBRE. And folks, when we come back, I'm going to have more with Mike. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. My guest right now in the studio with me is Mr. Mike Chesahoski, and he is the uh, executive vice president at CBRE and kind of a returning guest on a regular basis. Always good to see him here. And Mike, just before the break, you know, I was asking your take on the newly elected government, what they can possibly do. You know, I think you sang some high praises of Mr. Ford saying that, you know, maybe he's maybe he's a leader that actually wants to understand real estate? Because, you know, I, I don't think any any true party leader, unless they actually get knee deep in it and get really involved, you know, they, they, they've got to obviously have a desire to fix the, the problem. But I think it's going to take a little while. This isn't something that he can just turn around, major, wave a magic wand, we've got the, the, uh, the story taken care of. What do you think? Is if we were to give them a plan um, or you were going to give them your advice, you know, let's open up inventory, let's get rid of some red tape, but there's got to be more to it than that. Let's do a 10-year plan. Okay. Let, let's start there. And the first thing to do is look at the government assets that aren't being utilized properly. And you and I spoke about buildings on Bay Street. Yeah. And I've looked at assets for them that are out of town that they shouldn't be holding. Let's go through those assets. Let's get rid of the ones that should be placed into the development uh, arena or our surplus and get rid of them. But let's hire the best planners, listen to the developers, and streamline the process. You know, you and I were talking off air about something that I thought it was very interesting and, and, you know, made a lot of sense. You were talking about, as you mentioned, some of these government employees, the idea of going out into some of the smaller municipalities and actually taking with them a workforce and perhaps, you know, looking at um, areas such as, you know, the St. Catharines of the world. I mean, if we talk about Sudbury, you know, huge, huge, um, you know, uh, CRA headquarters up there, you know, but yet the cost of buying real estate at least half, you know, maybe even maybe even better, and yet cost of living isn't uh, isn't any higher, and yet the wages are basically you know par. So, you know, the idea that they could actually utilize some of the the hardcore buildings or land that they currently possess, you know, move the people out, make things affordable, is it something that they could actually do, or you know, is that just a pipe dream with you and I over a coffee? It sounds like a good idea to me because it was our <laughs> idea, so I I think it can work. Right. Um, I think you'd have to sit down and talk to the employees, right. talk to the union, and say, this is our idea. So we have a 100,000-square-foot building on Bay Street. Do we really need these employees that are just on the phone and on their computers sitting on Bay Street? If we move them to St. Catharines, houses are going to be half. Their lifestyle, in all likelihood, will be better. But would they be willing to go? And I think until you talk to the employees, you're not going to know. 
Right. No, it's a good point. Um, you know, I, I need to congratulate you and your company. Um, you have kept the uh, the books for Toronto in general in balance because of the number of sales that are currently happening in the commercial industrial area. In fact, um, you know, a report out actually had shown that because of the huge drop, not just not so much in prices, but volume in the GTA marketplace from the residential aspect, the double land transfer tax, okay, both from the province and the GTA itself, they are uh, they, they were going to shore up real short uh, if they were counting on the residential coffers, and that and they have been. This is one of the things that they sit there and say, hey, listen, you know, we've got this double land transfer tax, woohoo, you know, party, um, and at the end of the day. Um, the commercial and industrial sales have actually surpassed what they had anticipated residential should do. And so you're, you're making them flush. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Why are the sales so astronomical right now in your field? There's a lot of faith in Canada and especially the Toronto market. So you have a, we're now a global city and the global investors both our local ones and internationally are coming and feeling it's a safe, uh, stable market, and there's good growth. We have a lot of people coming the, from overseas, and a lot of people coming from, you know, like uh, in overseas investors that are currently in Vancouver coming into our market and saying, this is the next place I want to invest it. Sure. You know, it, the market's stable, the government's stable. We now have a great provincial government. And I think you'll see a lot more people coming because of that government. You know, it's interesting because in real estate, all we hear uh, on a regular basis is how unaffordable we are. But, you know, you you always, um, you know, attend major meetings with corporations and, and people, f- you know, from across the pond. You and I were talking about a situation where, you know, if we take a look at London, England uh, right now, as far as a commercial, uh, you know, industrial kind of um, marketplace, you, you actually said that Toronto is affordable. I think so. Years ago, our president, Blake Hutchison, said that we're one of the top 25 cities that is slated for growth with CBRE. And he was right. And we are a growing city. And sometimes people born and raised here, it's hard to think about Toronto as a global city. We've become one. And if we keep going on the right path, we'll keep going. And if you look at areas like New York and Los Angeles and London and Spain, we're cheap. We're cheap in comparison to what you can buy within an hour of downtown Toronto. Yeah. So I think that to get our heads wrapped around, if you look at some of those real estate markets, we're still very inexpensive. Yeah. No, it, you know, it's interesting because, again, you know, we when we hear, in, especially with the news, you know, we hear so many headlines that are saying affordable, not affordable, affordable, not affordable. You know, uh, you know, they they do draw comparisons to you know the say, seven major cities in the world, and they say you know Canada, uh, sorry Toronto is actually considered one of them now, and I agree with that. I think you know having traveled all over the world, I do believe that Toronto is a world class city, but at the same time, I think that there's also always been that mentality where it's like, oh no, we're a small town. You know, everybody everybody feels you know that. It's almost like they don't want to grow the city up to a certain point because it's almost you're sticking your head out too far. And, you know, when we talk about affordability, of course, one of the things that, you know, when you and I have this uh, conversation um, all the time about, you know, what is being built, what is our square footage price looking like in the condominium market? Where is it going to end up? I, I would have told you a lot less than it is now. It keeps moving. Their demand is there, not only from investors, but from users. So today, 800 to to $1,000 a square foot isn't unusual pricing anymore. 
Right. You know, we seem to crack 600 like nothing. And then next thing I know, we were at eight, $900 a foot. I was just going to say, you know, I remember, I remember, you know, even two years ago, you know, 550 seemed like a big number. And now, as you said, you know, we just, we just blew right through the sixes. Almost like we jumped from six to eight. We didn't even think about 700 a square no. foot. I never heard, in fact, listening to all the, uh, you know, builder developers, you know, they, they, they email me and send me all sorts of things. And ultimately in the end, I never saw seven, I never saw a square footage with a seven in it. It went from six to eight. Very quickly. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, you, de you double development charges. Yeah. You increase construction costs tremendously. You add on all these other costs from the government, and you have to get to those type of numbers to make it worthwhile. The 550, you can't build and make sense anymore. No, no, not at all. I mean, they're going to be nonprofit organizations and doing it for free. Um, one of the things I was going to ask you, um, you know, obviously with the, the wing government uh, has turned around that done rent control, we lost a lot of builders thinking purpose-built apartments. Do you think that um, if, if, the, if the new PC government actually starts working with the builders, do you think we're going to be able to get some inventory there? I believe so. Uh, the numbers have to change because right now they're just too tight. So we're seeing some purpose-built rentals, but it's more on the institutional side, different type of money, but very little. Right. So a lot of people that did have projects slated to go to residential rental are back on to condo. And partly the condo market is still very good, but partly is the numbers didn't work under rent controls. Right. And, and they're not making it any easier. I mean, you know, the one thing that I don't think everybody realizes is that also with the latest uh, changes with the Landlord-Tenant Board, um, you know, they are making it tougher and tougher for landlords to be landlords. And, you know, they think they're freeing it up to, to open up to the tenancy market, but they're, making, they're actually making landlords not want to be landlords. A smart tenant doesn't have to pay his rent except twice a year. From what people tell me, if you know the system... Yep. You have to pay your rent twice a year if you can play it the right way. Right. It makes it difficult. And imagine being private investors and looking at that type of legislation. Well, that's the thing. The private investor would normally lose the property if that was the case. Yes. And so, you know, what motivates somebody to be a landlord? You know what? Um, all of you know my answer. You know, come to the simpleinvestor.com and you can find out more about that. Uh, sorry, cheap little plug there. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I think I think it's going to be interesting. Um, so, Mike, just in closing, what do you think? Uh, are, should we start looking at something, some changes immediately? Do you think they're going to grab the bull by the horns? I think so. I think he's that type of man. I think he won't wait. I think he realized that there, there's been a lot of things that hurt our industry. So we're in desperate need of solutions for the housing industry, and that in turn will create a lot of jobs in building those condos and those houses. Well, listen, um, I'm definitely going to ask to have you back in the next few months. You and I can check in, and we'll do an update, obviously, on how the new government will perform. And quick question, if uh, somebody would like to know more about CBRE, what is the best place for them to reach you? CBRE.com, and if they want to reach me directly, cbreland.ca. Excellent. Always a pleasure to have you here on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Mike Chesahoski. He is the Executive Vice President at CBRE. Always a pleasure. Hey, folks, when we come back, I've got Mr. Tim Hudak joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So uh, my next guest is no stranger to the station here, of course. 
It's Mr. Tim Hudak, and you can listen to him right here at uh, News Talk 1010 Sundays at 5 p.m. But fortunately for me, uh, Tim has uh, has decided to have a chat with me uh, because he is the CEO of Aria, and with the latest election, with the PCs being voted in, I definitely wanted to have Tim's opinion. So, Tim, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for being back on the program, and you know, fresh off those results uh, Thursday night. Yeah, you know what? I, I I think there are people that are really excited, and then people that are cautiously optimistic. And and I want your take on the entire thing and and how this went down. Because Tim, you, it, it, if there's one person that has experience here, it's you. And I'd love to know your take on exactly where we're going to stand here. Well, number one thing before we get to the housing side, I mean, this is an incredible story. Just think five months ago, Todd, that. You know, Doug Ford was running uh, Deco Labels, the family business there in Etobicoke. He was gearing up to take on Mayor Tory to run for mayor. And Patrick Brown was leading the PC party. Five months later, Doug comes in there with a significant majority government. And this is the most shocking piece. Like, I think he's the first premier I can recall, maybe in the history of the province, who didn't sit in the legislature. He's coming totally from the outside. I don't think that's ever happened before. It's really an incredible story. Yeah, and you know, Tim, when you when you look at it from now an outsider's perspective, I I would imagine there's some excitement because you know he's he wasn't using the typical platform. He's not your typical politician. I think that he's you know he wants to work for the people, and I think maybe this is the change that we need. Yeah, you know, um, there there is an art to politics more so than a science and. The art that uh, Doug Ford displayed was keeping it simple. His message was that he's going to clean up the mess and make life more affordable for Ontarians. He talked about many ways of doing that, like getting the gas tax down, for example, getting the hydro bills down. But he had a very straightforward, simple message, and he stuck to it. Well, when when you take a look at it, because obviously you you were studying, you know, because I, I heard you on the radio regularly, you know, especially here at the station, you know, everybody wants your your opinion on it. When you were watching this, did you did you have a like a feeling that there was going to be such a strong majority? I mean, because it was interesting, because the polls leading up to you know Thursday night, they kept saying that the NDP and PCs were neck and neck, and yet. You know, there was some some rumor that, you know, some of the polls weren't being released to that were encouraging the, the PCs were actually doing better. Well, it, polls take a, um, a temperature of the general population, but you don't know how many of those folks who answer their phones or do an online poll actually turn out to vote. One of the skills for a successful leader is to motivate your voters to say, you know what, darn it, I'm, I'm going to get out and I'm getting my, my wife or my kids, we're going to go to the polls. So you have to motivate them, and Doug did that successfully by tapping in to the strong desire for change and frustration with the current government that many people said had lost touch. Andrew Horvath offered change in style, a different kind of leader, but her policies were not entirely different from the governing liberals. Doug Ford's campaign tapped into a strong desire to change a totally different person than the premier and a totally different set of priorities. So let's let's talk about Aria. Uh, of course, you are the CEO there and the Ontario Real Estate Association. And one of the things, you know, obviously you were looking for from a from a new leader or somebody that would be reelected was some kind of commitment that we start talking about. And 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 I, I caution when I say affordability because that that can have two 
you know, uh, two interpretations and, but basically giving the ability to free up lands and be able to develop and work with, you know, different municipalities so we can start adding inventory into this mix. Your, your, you know, leading up into it, um, do you think, do you think that, you know, they're going to be able to commit to what you as, as a, you know, association is going to require? Well, well, look, um, there's a lot of issues for them to sort out, but I, I do feel optimistic, and, and here's why, Todd. Number one, you know, in his history as a city councillor and being, you know, a public figure, Doug Ford certainly has been very pro-home ownership. Uh, the voting block that he got, I would call sort of aspiring middle class, you know, people that are kind of getting by paycheck to paycheck, not the wealthy elite. And that's a group, sort of those struggling middle class families that either want to upgrade their home or get in the housing market in the first place. He has before in the past um, been a strong opponent of the land transfer tax by way of example, so that's a good thing too. Um, there's another one I'll tell you about uh, momentarily, but generally look at Doug Ford's record and what he talks about on the housing side. I, I think it gives reasons for optimism for that family out there whose daughter went to York, she got a degree, she got a job, she can't find a place of her own. I think there's causes for optimism today. Okay. Now, you were, sorry, you're, and you were going to add something to that because you said... Yeah, number two, you know, for you have a, a lot of realtors that listen uh, to your audience. So there's a conservative MPP, Todd Smith, from the Belleville area. Todd was the one who brought in the legislation a couple years ago uh, to allow for realtors to incorporate, just like mortgage brokers can or doctors or dentists and accountants, right? There's just an outdated law that says realtors cannot. It's an encumbrance to business. I suspect uh, Todd, who was a, a key player on the energy file for Doug Ford and the Conservatives, will have a significant role. You know, I think that's a good sign that somebody who's had the back of realtors uh, that may move forward that legislation under a conservative government. Okay. So, Tim, now uh, let, let, let's talk about Aria for a minute. Um, you know, obviously, currently we're, we're kind of in a, tight, a, a tighter market. When, what I mean by that is that, you know, we're not seeing the same volume of sales. We've got, you know, we're trying to overcome some new rules and regulations that were implemented, you know, within the last 12 months. And at this stage, you know, we watched the volume drop down uh, in the GTA significantly from last year and from 2016. Um, what do we see going forward? How how can people weather this? I mean, there's still talk that maybe we're going to watch the market pull back even further. We do know the Bank of Canada was saying that, you know, we should start rebounding anytime soon. Um, from, from an association, what do you see the future over the next few months or for the next 18 months in the real estate field? Well, the, the number one thing is for governments to pump the brakes on messing around with the market anymore. I mean, for goodness sakes, with the stress test kicking in this year, new taxes, higher mortgage rates, a higher land transfer tax, like enough already. And I think the election of Doug Ford as uh, Premier of the province of Ontario, that would be their instinct. So I'm optimistic on that front. And maybe they'll send a shot across the bow to the national government to stop making it harder uh, to get in the market and do something to encourage supply. And, and number two, you know, wherever I go, Todd, if I'm in Mississauga or Toronto, I was in Kingston and Peterborough and Lindsay, Ontario, this week talking to our local realtor leaders. That's the I word. Everywhere I go, inventory, not enough housing stock, particularly for starter homes or upgrades, right, for when you get the kids. So we can do something on the supply side, increase choice in the marketplace. That will end this game of musical chairs where one house moves and everybody else has to try to grab the next one. Increasing supply should be on the agenda of the provincial government, and we're going to push hard for that. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you talked about that, Tim, because and and we talk about move up buyers, because, you know, we we all talk about the first time home buyer, but we've got to talk about the first time home seller. You know, those are the people, as you mentioned, that, you know, maybe they're starting a family and it's time for them to move up. But basically, there's no place for them to move up to currently. You know, inventory is very short. So your first time home seller is not coming out of the blocks, which then again, turns around and slows the first time home buyer. So we, we don't have that revolving cycle as we did going through, you know, the nineties and the early two thousands where we did see enough inventory coming to the second stage owner, you know, the, their next house. So is, is this something, you know, from a, from a association point of view that you're trying to encourage developers and government to say, Hey, listen, you know what, this is really the sweet spot that we need to focus on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We got to break the log jam in the system. So if those families that are going to move up on the housing market, they free up that first time home for the millennial couple expecting their first baby that's stuck in a shoebox apartment somewhere. The other angle I think we need to pursue, and we need to do a bit more research on this for the best options, Todd. But there are a lot of empty nesters who, you know, want to stay in the city. They want to be close to the grandkids but they're still staying in the family home. God bless them. They're healthier. They saved up. It's a generation that's uh, you know, worked hard and saved up a lot in their equity of their homes. But there's a way to help them decide to move maybe into missing middle accommodation, a little bit smaller place that will also feel, uh, free up more traditional family homes for buyers. Yeah, excellent. Listen, Tim, it's always a pleasure. Hey, listen, by the way, uh, tomorrow, 5 p.m., your show, the Tim Hudak Show, what uh, what are you going to be talking about? Yeah, so fans of politics uh, should uh, tune in. I'm going to uh, sort of say uh, why uh, Doug Ford uh, won the election, why the other two did not, what happens next for the opposition parties, and they're going to have an expert panel on. They're going to say, okay, uh, now we have a new government. What will be the first steps for Doug Ford, and what will it mean for you, the listeners? It'll be a lot of fun, 5 to 6 tomorrow. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Tim. Always a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Have a great day now. Thank you. You know, it's always a pleasure to have uh, Tim Hudak on the show. You know, with the experience in politics and now in real estate, um, great fit to analyze what just happened this week. Wow, what a week it was. And, you know, again, you know, I congratulate uh, the PC party for actually, you know, their efforts and being able to gain control. I'm not going to tell you that, you know, it's the only party that should be in place. But right now we do need a shakeup. We need some changes. And more importantly, in the real estate world, I think that inventory is a huge thing and I'm sure there are those of you that are sitting there saying no it's all about the price but it's not and you know the one thing that if you've listened to me over the years here um, I always have been trying to encourage everyone for ownership you know really the truth is is that you know you don't buy real estate just for a family home it can be a long time investment and for those of you that are struggling to get in the market you know what hopefully there is going to be some uh you know some potential in the near future with the new government hopefully inventory will open up and make it a little bit easier for those of you that do want to get into this marketplace anyways um other than that i just want to uh, i want to thank mike chesahoski for joining me in the studio as well he's always a pleasure and uh, mr tim hudak uh, for giving us his take on the election i want to thank ian grant my producer he always keeps it simple for me each week and thank you for tuning in uh always a pleasure to talk about real estate and hey listen politics this week uh I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. I'll be back next Saturday at 3 p.m. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.